Okay, we are we are live. Uh, I think yay. it's nice the fact that we are recording with all four of us. Oh, it's fantastic. I was just gonna say, is it the first time this season? It sure feels like it. Hello, I'm here. It's Anna. Okay, stop. Okay, that. no, that is totally a robot now. No, it's really Anna. Stop doing that. Okay, th- th- that's literally what she said the last time. No, it's really Anna. You have to say something for real. Yes. No, it's totally me. Thanks. I can. <laughs> Wow, I think I, so. Because I'm the host, I think I can just mute Anna. I think I can just be like, "Yes, Ro." <laughs> I I almost feel like she told a robot to say that, and we're playing hacker no hacker early, and she's like, "I don't care for Is this." Is it Anna or not Anna? <laughs> don't care for this i am legit sorry trying to figure it out she's a robot right now this is so i'm so like i was so prepared to get my ass handed to me in hacker no hacker already where i'm like i can't tell what's real and fake and now i'm like legit spiraling wondering if this is anna or if she's got some sort of one-liner robot programmed going on where she's like i'm just gonna randomly insult people let's see how this goes (laughs) sarah i don't agree with that oh my god i don't (laughs) like this i don't like this at all this is very unsettling what you don't believe me (laughs) wow all right this is really something do you like socks i i feel like we should hang up on this anna because i'm so confused i really like socks Hmm. cozy ones with like fluff on the end matt matt you're here sometimes they have patterns or they might be plain matt is what is happening matt please provide some anna insight i i don't know I, sarah I think you... what socks are you wearing okay uh anna gosh hasn't uh, it been a busy day doing normal things at the office what do you think rue sarah matt am i right <laughs> Oh my god! It's like Phew, there's lots of one passwording to do at the office where we work. Has she been kidnapped? What is happening? Uh, so I guess this is the point where I should tell you I haven't an AI model of Anna's voice uh, with total permission, <laughs> but it's really accurate and kind of terrifying. I don't, I don't appreciate yeah, this, do this at I don't all. Like it at all. I'm I'm literally like, do no. we need to send someone to her house? Is she unwell? Has she been kidnapped? Yeah, I was... Is this one of those like pizza delivery commercials <laughs> yeah. where you call and order pizza and it's like, please send the police? Like, what's happening? I made this completely with her permission. Uh, hang on, did you eject her from the call? Yes, bro? I did. No, yes, I did. Enough of that. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, scary AI. Am I right? <laughs> no. Okay, okay. You guys got me. It's actually an AI voice model made from Anna's voice. It's terrifying, isn't it? The point that I was trying to make was the the tools have gotten so advanced. Anna gave me about five minutes of her audio, and like I I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't get it any more accurate. It, that that's bananas. What you just did there, and I don't like it. <laughs> at all yeah i think you can still tell i think sarah she messed up your name a couple of times but the creepy thing is like there's like little laughs in between some of the sentences and breathing patterns in the audio and and things like that like it's it's really creepy that was genuinely one of the most unsettling things that i've experienced like we you legit did that with her permission we picked up on it you know, I want to say we were pretty on the ball there. Like, none of us were like, oh, how are you feeling, Anna? I'm feeling better. Thank you. Like, none of us were like, oh, that's really Anna. Like, we were all like <laughs> – and, and you were suspiciously quiet. So, I mean, A, we picked up on it. But, like, 
if you invited Anna to the podcast and you'd never met Anna and you were like, and you're like me and you're like, I'm just done with this right now. I just, I don't have any more time. And you were like, well, I need Sarah on the podcast. Let me make, take a recording of her voice and like, let's just do the best we can with what we got. And someone hadn't met me before. I don't know if they would know that that wasn't me. Yeah. Like on one hand, yay, no more meetings for me. On the other hand, <laughs> that's not cool. Like that, that's terrifying. The only thing that really let it down was the speed in which I could type stuff. And by the time that I managed to type it, export it to my audio software to route it through to the microphone. Because, of course, like I joined a call and it was as a as a microphone. By the time that I could do that, that was the delay that you were experiencing. Wow. Yeah. Don't like it. No. I, I think it's truly terrifying. The breathing is straight up creepy. Don't be silly. We need to stop it with the silliness. It's 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 unsettlingly calm. I think that that's actually what it was. <laughs> there's just there's like a calm, stoic lack of like rise out of it. It's it's so creepy. Shall we get on with the show? Yeah, we should get on with the show. This is God. We've got thirty four minutes to record. The show's done. Uh, an entire show because we yes, Ru. we've been no stop it, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we get into some Watchtower Weekly? Of course, named after 1Password's Watchtower feature, where we like to alert our users to any important data breaches or reused passwords and weak passwords and where you can use pass keys and if there's two-factor authentication enabled, uh, all of those things. Uh, but in this segment, we like to highlight latest security news that we think is important or interesting and share some of our reactions to them. I, I enjoy the fact that we're all still a little bit shook by that. Very much. Very <laughs> yes. much. There's going to be like a, a tone of discontent over the rest of the podcast. Thank you for ruining this experience for us, Matt. Thank you. Okay, so this one. <laughs> you didn't hear the first one that I generated, which was the lyrics from Shakira, um, of which uh, <laughs> I, I think me and Anna were just like, okay, let's not do this anymore because it, it, it was just a – it was so weird. <laughs> All right, so – Widely available children's tablet has malware and exposes kids' data. So this one's from TechCrunch. In May this year, a daughter of security researcher Alexis Hancock got gifted a children's tablet for her birthday. But being a security researcher, Hancock was immediately worried. I looked at it kind of sideways, they said, because I've never heard of Dragon Touch, referring to the tablet's maker. As it turned out, Hancock, who worked at the Electronic Frontier Foundation, had good reasons to be concerned. Hancock said she found that the tablet had a slew of security and privacy issues that could have put her daughter and other children's data at risk. So the Dragon Touch Kids Pad Y88X, which rolls off the tongue, uh, contained traces of a well-known malware, runs a version of Android that was released five years ago, Oy. comes with preloaded and other software that's considered malware and potentially unwanted programs because of its history and extensive system-level permissions to download whatever application it wants. And it also includes an outdated version of an app store designed specifically for kids. So Hancock said she reached out to Dragon Touch to report these issues, but the company never responded always a, a, a worrying sign. Uh, another worrying thing was Hancock said she found on the tablet were traces of Corieva, which in January, cybersecurity firm Malwarebytes analysed and concluded was malicious. Also this year, the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and independent security researchers discovered the same type of malware embedded in the software of cheap Android-powered TVs. 
Uh, you can tell it's me, by the way, because I keep on messing up words. That's the realness meter for me. Uh, the good news is Hancock said that it is at least the malware seemed inactive and was programmed to send data to dormant servers. According to Hancock's technical report, the tablet also came preloaded with Adups, the same software found in those Android TVs, which is used to do firmware over-the-air updates. Malwarebytes has classified Adups also as malware and a potentially unwanted program for its ability to automatically download and install new malware from the internet. Finally, the tablet came pre-installed with an outdated version of the Kiddos app, which serves as an app store that allows parents to set parental controls and for kids to download games and apps. The app store collects and sends data to kiddos.net on usage and physical attributes of the device. This includes information like device model, brand, country, time zone, screen size, view events, click events, log time events, and a unique kid ID. Both Walmart and Amazon have actually removed the sale of this tablet from their stores. Children's internet-connected products have long been a target for hackers, and in 2015, a hacker broke into the servers of VTech, a consumer electronics company that makes gadgets for children. The hack resulted in the theft of personal information of almost 5 million parents, including names, email addresses, passwords and home addresses, and the personal data of more than 200,000 kids, including names, genders, and birthdays. Oof. The hacker also obtained thousands of pictures of parents and kids and a year's worth of chat logs. When talking about children's privacy, security researcher Alexis Hancock said, parents can't really do much, and honestly, it shouldn't be left up to them. What do we think about this? Uh, is this on anybody's Christmas list? Definitely not. And... Almost none of this is surprising to me that like a low budget tablet for children is made with old outdated versions of software with no no concern for any sort of like security or privacy. I'm not at all surprised, mm -hmm. which is too bad. I think yeah. that's the hard part is that it's I'm sitting here in a position of privilege where I'm able to buy an Apple device for my kids. Each have, you know, their Apple iPhones, so I'm not I'm not worried about things like this, but I'm I'm thinking about some of the folks in our area who are wanting to make sure their kids have something so that they are able to connect to the internet, do the same things as other kids, all that kind of stuff when they get home from school and they're supposed to do all their schoolwork online. Parents need a device, so you, you have to get whatever is available, and it's the cheapest thing available. And it leaves the window for exploitation open to these already vulnerable sectors where things can just go not as well. And it's just, I think what Alexis said about it shouldn't be left up to parents to have to figure it out. Like, it would be nice if devices just didn't allow bad shit to happen when children are involved. I don't know. I think that's something where a default would be nice. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. Okay. Moving on then. This next one. Dolly.com pays ransom. Attackers release data anyway. So Dolly.com, an on-demand moving and delivery platform, allegedly paid hackers not to publish stolen customer data. Unsurprisingly, CyberCrooks found an excuse not to hold their end of the bargain. Cybercriminals, turns out, are hardly a trustworthy bunch after all. The attackers complained that the payment wasn't generous enough and published the stolen data. Not only that, but the criminals also shared a chat with the company on an underground criminal forum. So Dolly.com offers on-demand moving and delivery services in 45 US cities. The platform connects people who need help moving items with Dolly helpers who can assist with heavy lifting. 
Attackers posted the details about the Dolly.com hack on a notorious Russian language forum, typically employed by ransomware operators and stolen data traders. One of the emails between the attackers and the victim dated 7th of September showed that Dolly agreed to pay the ransom. In exchange, the attackers were asked to delete the stolen information. Cybersecurity researchers believe that the cybercriminals obtained sensitive company and customer data, such as high-level account login details, credit card information, customers' addresses, names, and user emails. According to the hackers' version of events, Dolly.com did pay the ransom, but it was not enough to satisfy them. Unsurprisingly, the gang did not return the payment that it deemed too small. Instead, the crooks kept the money and the data. To add salt to the wound, the attackers uploaded the data and posted two download links on a forum infested with cybercriminals. The only silver lining is that the downloadable files were later removed after being up for at least a week. So I think this case clearly illustrates how ransomware operators aren't really to be trusted. And there is no guarantee that victims who end up, you know, paying don't still lose their money. I'm waiting for Rue to say something. So I, because all the thing, the only thing that's going through my mind right now is like dislike, like, <laughs> you know, I, I think it's one of those honor amongst thieves things where if you're going to do something like this, you know, and you're going to extort someone, you, you kind of should hold up your end of the bargain because otherwise you're going to ruin it for all the other cyber criminals out there. Because now like, what's the point of me trying to pay a ransom if it's just going to go out there anyways? I I feel bad for this company. This is this is like this is not fun for them. Matt, you're the vibe. You've killed it. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's the theme of this show. I think this does interesting things to the insurance side of this as well. Obviously, I would have imagined the amount that they paid was the amount that the people asked for. Because like why else would you you're not going to pay half and just yes. hope, right? Like, well, it's it's like a tip suggestion on the restaurant thing. Like when they're like, "Here's your bill." The tip could be, you know, fifteen, eighteen, or twenty, and it's like, and they print it out right out for you, so you don't have to do the math. Like, is this a, you know, we've stolen your goods? Here's a issue that you can maybe do this with. Like, here's the suggested amount you should send, and you just don't know any better. You've never negotiated with Russian hacker cyber criminals before, so you don't know that when they say give me a dollar, it's actually a dollar fifty. Like, you don't know. <laughs> Like, I don't know the etiquette of hacking, you know, <laughs> etiquette. Wait, do you think that this was an exchange rate problem? It, it, it could, could have been be. a bit. Maybe. It totally could have been. Amazing. Maybe they, you know, just didn't realize that there was, you know, a currency conversion issue or the bank took the $10 off the wire transfer. Could be anything. Ah, it's so good. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> All right. So this next one's very timely. The AI security threat. Should businesses be worried? Uh, this one's from Forbes. Almost a third of businesses believe that generative AI is one of the biggest security threats that they will face in the coming year, according to a new survey. So the boom in generative AI services such as ChatGPT and Microsoft's Copilot, the the two have never been more in the headlines or closer together, have long been touted as, as potential productivity boasters for business. But seemingly it doesn't stop IT managers from worrying about the threats posed by AI. According to a survey of almost 1,500 IT executives conducted for the cloud computing services provider Fastly, a global survey found that 29% of participants believe that generative AI is one of the biggest threats that they will face in 2024, with almost half worried about the small talent pool available to deal with AI-generated threats. 
Fastly believes that some of the security angst concerning AI is based on falsehoods. Fastly's VP of technology says there's a lot of information out there that says this will allow people to develop super malware. This AI will help people code better and that's all it does, he added. It's not going to all of a sudden go off and create this massive strain of malware. That's a wide statement to make about all generative AI, right? Yes. Uh, Aside from malware, businesses are worried about the potential for generative AI services to leak sensitive data. Earlier this month, the UK government hosted an AI safety summit. I imagine that went as well as anything hosted by the UK government. Uh, In in which a range of fears (laughs) about future AI developments were, were voiced. I heard Elon Musk basically say that all jobs will disappear from AI. Like no one will ever have to do a job again. I heard that about dishwashers in the 1950s, right? <laughs> Wasn't that the whole like every every the housewives will never have to do dishes again because we'll all have dishwashers. Like robots have been coming for our jobs since the beginning of the industrial age. Let's see how it goes. Dishwashers are pretty good though. I don't know whether adding AI to a dishwasher would get any better. But. Still going to keep that cheese stuck on there. <laughs> I was going to say, there's still going to be that one glass in the corner that doesn't get washed. Yep. So these ranged from interference in elections with AI making it easier than ever to create so-called deep fake content through the risk of AI systems uh, escaping human control. <laughs> or if you listen to the beginning of the show, the delay between Matt's fingers and the voice being generated. GCHQ's cybersecurity agency has recently warned that next year's election vote will be the first in the UK since significant advances in AI were made, and it could pose a threat to the legitimacy of the voting system. But while there are significant worries, I, I enjoy that we're just skipping over the, um, the, the other big election that is going on. You know, this was, uh, we, we made notes, obviously, from the UK point of view. <laughs> but I think the part that kills me, though, is that no one gives any sort of concern about this until it involves it could be the election and then all of a sudden the mm. politicians give a crap. like what about the rest of the poor people like what about the 95 year old senior citizen who's out there thinking their great niece has been kidnapped and is in prison and she has to send i2 cards to get them out of bail how about we worry about ai helping these people who already are struggling to understand cybercrime let's worry about those folks like the legitimacy of elections the fact that you can only get like 20, 30% of people to care because they all think the system is corrupt. I don't think that's AI's problem. I don't know why you're all concerned now. Like maybe <laughs> we should have been talking about election issues long before this. Yeah, I, I think it's all framing, isn't it? Like the bar to start messing with stuff like that is so high. Mm-hmm. No one's going to be focused on that. I think ransomware has really started going for the for the low-hanging targets. But I know that there is a huge security shortage in the IT industry. And one of the reasons that firms find it hard to retain security staff is that junior roles involve a lot of tedious tasks. So that's where AI could step in. AI could certainly reduce the amount of kind of drudge work that human security staff at the moment must wade through. So the VP of Fastly also said... Usually when you get started in security, you start with some of the menial jobs of gathering data, responding to alerts, those type of things. And you don't always have good retention of security talent. And then there's just so much to do that people are overworked. What we see uh, generative AI helping with is the toil reduction of doing things that can be automated, that can be done by a machine, just as well as the human. And that will allow humans to do things that are more impactful and generally more fun. So 
you know, it's not quite replacing human jobs, as Elon Musk might have said, but like making them more bearable, taking away the, the kind of the toll of the, the menial work. But as it stands, what do we think? Are there more pros or cons when it comes to, to AI for business? Or kind of does it matter? It's coming anyway. I think it's on the does it matter thing. Like, yeah. it's, it's going to be here. And so you have a choice of whether or not it's like the internet. You can either set up your MySpace webpage now and like get ahead of the curve and be on the internet before everyone else. Or you can wait until there's like 900 different services available to build a web page for you because you can't even have a business now without a web page. Like, for me, like when I'm looking at AI and I'm thinking of different use cases I have, like it was talking about the grunt work. I understand that if I have a problem that does X, I need Y document so I can send it to the person. And I have to remember where that is. Like, I have to do all of that remembering. If I could just keyword that in and a robot's like, oh, here's the article, that would save me time. And then I would be able to hone my spidey senses to be able to think, I don't know if this is really the problem the customer's having here. Like, if I think about this and I'm, like, connecting it with what's going on in the world and the other conversations I've had, I think this might be the actual problem. And so I should direct the conversation that way. But I still have the data. Like, I think if we can enhance our other skills, great. There's a lot of grunt work out there that just isn't any fun. That's kind of how I look at it, too. The other thing that I that I have been using it for has been sort of like an enhanced search engine, right? So like, hey, I'm writing something in this vein, like with this particular purpose. What are the things that I should keep in mind as I'm writing here to communicate? And like I've gotten good results out of stuff like that. But I think that it's coming anyway. So whether there's pros or cons it doesn't necessarily matter like people are going to use it it's going to become part of our daily life for sure our guests today are jason and amisha from datadog datadog is a cutting-edge platform that has become a driving force in the world of cloud application monitoring observability and security we're delighted to be partnering with datadog here at one password and i'm hoping we can get into a little bit more about the partnership as well as all the things cloud security today uh, it is great to have you with us jason Namisha. How are you both doing? Doing well, Ruth. Thanks for having us. Why don't we start with some introductions? And I'd love to hear about your roles. Uh, Namisha, why don't you why don't you kick it off? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I'm Namisha. I am a product manager on one of our security products here at Datadog. Uh, it's called QuadSim. Uh, I am very much focused on our detection engine and building that out for our customers. I've been at the company for over two years now. And yeah, I'm based out of Toronto. Very nice. Uh, Jason, what about you? Yeah, I'm a senior PM here at Datadog. I also work on our CloudSim product. I've been with Datadog for a little over six months now, but I've worked in security for a good number of years, including on SIM products in the past, and I've been in the industry for a little over 20 years. Very nice. Awesome. So Datadog provides some really comprehensive monitoring for cloud applications. Can you talk about how Datadog got started? What was the founding of it? And, and how has it evolved since then? Yeah, sure. So I think one of the fun things about Datadog is how it got started. We are still run by our two founders, Olivier Pommel and Alexis Lecoq. They actually met in college and basically uh, started going through various you know, programs together, worked together at several companies, and uh, began to notice in their career that there was a lot of tension between dev users and ops users. And they eventually decided that they needed to build a platform that would help dev and ops work better together. And so they, in 2010, founded a company, Datadog, that built a platform in the cloud to help 
DevOps teams collaborate more effectively. It started originally with just observability and moved into monitoring. By 2017, they really felt there was a need to tackle application performance monitoring, and so they launched an APM product that was very successful. And in 2019, they went public and soon after launched their security portfolio, which started with uh, Cloud Sim. So we've been building out the security platform ever since. Uh, we have an app security solution as well as a cloud security management solution. That's a huge growth in, in products for Datadog, like beyond even just the, the initial offering. How would you say that like the relationship with the cloud has changed over the years? And, and what are the, some of the, the modern challenges that you think you're seeing? Yeah, so, you know, with any cloud infrastructure, there's always going to be the issue of complexity. You've got roles and resources that all have to be managed, uh, often at large scale. You can imagine, you know, an application that suddenly gets very popular, needs to scale dramatically in order to meet the demands of those users. And that requires a lot of telemetry and information to be shared in order to operate and run that infrastructure. What has changed in recent years has been the interest by attackers on the cloud infrastructure. And this means that there are a lot more attacks happening in the cloud these days, with attackers trying to compromise identities and resources, anything that they can get a, an edge in in order to get into the company and steal data, use resources, do DDoS attacks, all, a, a variety of different things. And so the security landscape is evolving where cloud really is a significant portion of where attackers are focusing these days. So I have to imagine that with that importance on securing the cloud, you know, really ramping up like that, the importance of that ramping up over the years, that you've probably got some good horror stories from people around like just that show off like the risks of not monitoring this well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've been working with a customer recently where they were dealing with a situation where they were seeing operational spikes in their frontline application. And the ops teams were convinced that, you know, everything was fine. And the security teams were, you know, trying to figure out, like, could this be attacker-based? And they were trying to basically have these two groups come together and understand, was this, like, an operational issue or was this a security issue? And they decided to adopt Datadog to basically bring the security view and the operations data together where they could see, okay, they've got, they, they had a tool that would allow them to determine, you know, was there bot activity that was impacting the infrastructure that only the security team had previously had visibility to. And then the ops team could see spike activity that was happening on their infrastructure. And they would always blame the security team. And the security team would always say, well, no, we're not seeing correlations over here. Maybe it's something in your ops, you know, in the way that you're running the application. And by bringing them together, they were able to actually see both sides and figure out what was really at the heart of it. And it was a little bit of both. <laughs> there was a need for some operational improvements, and there was also some attacks that were happening. Interesting. That's, so it was really prior to bringing Datadog in, they did not have sort of this comprehensive view of the world that gave them the right, the right visibility to make the connections that they needed to. Everyone was just sort of in their own bubble. Like, I don't know, looks fine to me sort of thing. Yep. Yeah, and that's really like one of the core things is that like teams, you know, need to operate at scale and speed and the only way to do that is to bring the different teams together to collaborate more effectively. 
And that's really like the, if you think about like that origin story around Datadog, where like dev and ops were separate back in the early aughts when they founded the company. And there's been this DevOps revolution that has brought them together. You know, Ali, our CEO, believes that that same transformation in the way we work is going to happen between security teams and devs and ops teams as well. And so we're building a platform to help that happen. Okay. So this cloud security, cloud monitoring, that seems like an enormous problem, like a very, very unscoped, wild problem to solve. What is Datadog actually doing that addresses this incredibly huge challenge? Yeah. So like Jason said, right, how the complexity of the cloud creates these new security challenges, right? Securing cloud native application is very different than doing traditional security that we do today. By definition, these cloud environments, they bring a broader attack surface with incidents causing deeper, sometimes catastrophic impact for our customers. Given the growth of DevOps engineers, unique resources that they may be using, and also the rate of changes. Also, like the development operations and security teams now have all these overlapping responsibilities in the modern cloud environment and can no longer work independently of each other. So, which is why we sort of think that we are so uniquely positioned to solve this complex problem, uh, the security problems for our customers in a simple way. We've sort of designed our security products to remove that barrier of entry and all the different frictions that usually make security products so hard to deploy and operate. So if you're already using our log management platform, you're basically one click away from detecting the important security activity in your logs. Similarly, if you're already monitoring your infrastructure with Datadog, we're providing cloud-native security products to help you better secure your cloud environment, host containers, and in one click through the same agent you're using for infrastructure. And similarly for application. So one of our founding product managers always used this tagline, which was secure what you already observe. And that's something that we uh, would tell our customers all the time because we're just in such a unique place to help you with that. Yeah, that's really cool. Like to take the original thing and build on top of it and, and, and sort of provide additional insights that, again, very easy to opt into, but the visibility didn't exist before. That's cool. Okay, so let's get into some sale pitch, sales pitches then for folks that are, might be considering Datadog. They've heard, they've heard this so far, like, great, like, let's go. Give me like key features and benefits that sort of like separate Datadog from the rest of, of the market, especially the cybersecurity market. So the key thing for us is when you're operating in the cloud, you're operating in a way that where speed and scale are paramount, right? So this means that not only does the technology need to be fast, but we also need tools for the various teams working together to foster collaboration, right? That's the only way that we're going to be able to respond adequately to the cloud and the challenges that are there. So for Datadog, that means that our SIM solution, and I should be upfront, like when we say SIM, we're, we're talking about a security information and event management solution. One of the, the granddaddies of security solutions out there still still very relevant, even in the cloud environment. Our SIM solution is built on a real-time on-stream detection engine for all logging, alerting, and telemetry information. What that means is that all the data that's being sent in is you know, being analyzed by the detection rules that customers build into the platform. 
Now, we also back up the platform with a strong library of low-noise, highly curated, out-of-the-box detection rules that are built and maintained by Datadog's detection engineering experts. Every integration we build, including the one we built with 1Password, includes a set of detection rules that we believe will help our customers detect potentially malicious behavior. So we're providing a lot of value out of the box, analyzing this data, detecting potentially malicious activity. And then we're using the platform to its strengths here so that we're bringing everybody into the system, whether it's dev teams, ops teams, security teams, so they can collaborate better, which means we're using shared dashboards. We're using shared case management. We're using shared incident management tools. We also have automation tools that help any members of those teams actually use automation to automatically respond to what's happening in their cloud environments. So we have a workflows tool that's automatically built in. So when we say we're building a platform for collaboration for the cloud, this is what we're really talking about. Like it's a sim that's built for the cloud, which is built for teams to collaborate in this way. I think that that's a really important point that I want to hit on there is that it's not just reporting, but it's also sort of a customized response platform as well. Given the the dev tools and the automations that you've exposed, I'm assuming the companies can say like, okay, great. Like, yes, we've got this, this monitoring set up. But if we trigger this type of event, we're going to kick off this automation and it can hook into the rest of the company's workflow and, and, and infrastructure then. 100%. We've got over 650 integrations, a number of collaboration tools, many of the popular notification systems, whether it's Slack or Teams or PagerDuty, Jira, ServiceNow, et cetera, that can really integrate Datadog into a company's normal workflow. Nice. That's very cool. Okay. All right. Give me your top recommendations for companies that are seeking to enhance the security posture when moving services to the cloud and, and sort of embracing cloud native technologies? Yeah, sure. So um, maybe Manish and I can pass this back and forth a little bit, but I think one of the most important things that we see customers are having the most success with is adopting a zero trust security model when they move into the cloud. One of the things that's you know really challenging today is the transition from traditional on-prem into more of a cloud mindset, there is no more network boundary in the cloud. And so you really need to think about how every resource, every account, every asset really shouldn't be trusted unless it passes a certain set of requirements along the way. And companies that adopt this are basically able to have a better security outcome overall. They're, they're able to recognize, oh, resource X is not you know, behaving properly. Let's block them from access and then go figure out what's going on in that area. So I'd really recommend companies who have yet to really explore this to, to start to really explore how can Zero Trust advance their security program to a greater degree of success. Yeah. And just to add on to that, I think another one to call out is automating security processes with DevSecOps. This is something that we call it out to our customers all the time, which is just the importance of embedding security into your DevSecOps practices. So streamlining security checks, tests within your deployment, continuous deployment, CI/CD pipelines, making sure that security is just an integral part of every phase of your security software development lifecycle. Yeah. Namisha, have you seen challenges with companies who show up that they don't necessarily have a strong security posture, but they know that they need to do something? Do you work with companies like that? And like, what's what's the approach there? How much handholding are you able to provide? 
Yeah. So we, we see customers with don't have a security team today. We see customers that have a mature security team as well. So the ones that don't have a security team, we're talking shared responsibility of a DevOps person to do security. A lot of the products that we build out, we have resources, guides for them to sort of onboard and make sure that they're able to do what they need to do in their day-to-day for those responsibilities. Apart from that, we have built out a number of automation and out-of-the-box value for the user, right? So they don't have to go in and configure each and everything by themselves. It's just one click and they have the monitoring that they need. They automatically get the alerts that they need and they know what's important to action on right away. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Okay, so speaking of companies that have very strongly established uh, security teams, you've recently partnered with us, and we have this we have this integration. I'd love to hear a little bit about sort of how the partnership came to be, and some of the goals that we had in mind, and, and sort of the end result of us Voltroning together to join join forces here. Yeah, for sure. So we had a number of shared customers who were requesting the integration with One Password. So we reached out to them, knowing that they had a huge need for it as well. And we as product managers, we listen to the customer, we do what they want, and we go build it out for them, right? So the partnership really developed very naturally with 1Password. So once we reached out to them, they explained to us what they needed to do. So they needed to understand, visualize activity across their 1Password tenant in real time. Right. So this came about from the events API. We looked at what type of data is coming in, how we can utilize that, bring value by monitoring it out of the box for the user. So we're talking about sign in attempts for the user. We're talking about item usage. So passwords, credentials that are being used by the user. It was a number of use cases that came up. And yeah, we just went in and built it together. Another cool part was, so one password team, the security team at one password, they use Datadog today. So they use CloudSim. So it was very easy for us to capture those use cases, build it out for other customers out there by doc fooding it within Datadog and within one password. Yeah, there's a lot of benefits to us being our own customer for some of things like this. That's that's really, really cool. So what does this look like for someone who is using both 1Password and Datadog today? What's the opt-in? Like, is this just a thing that shows up on a dashboard for them? They get to just be like, yep, connect connect 1Password and Datadog and start you know, reaping the benefits. How does it work? Yeah, so together, the Datadog integration for 1Password, it collects, processes all the 1Password logs that are coming in to monitor and quickly detect any suspicious activities that might signal an attack, right? So it could be credential theft, brute force, attacks. So we help sort of reduce that risk and protect that sensitive data. So we built out multiple detection rules to help automatically analyze those logs in real time with CloudSim. And those then generate these signals to alert the security teams. So, for example, some of our rules search for one password item usage actions that could indicate an attack. So we built a rule that uses the one password item usage event type and then export the event name to detect potential password exfiltration attempts. In addition to that, we also have, like Jason mentioned, workflow automation here at Datadog to orchestrate an automated series of actions in response to those alerts. So this could be customized within Datadog as well. 
We also built out a dashboard with immediate insights into those security-related logs that are coming in from one password. So this could be values, items, users, all that. So we aggregate all of those into one centralized dashboard. And yeah, this is, it's one click and you get all of that out of the box value. That's really cool. I can imagine putting these things together. I can come up with a couple of scenarios that would probably be useful. Like if you have to offboard an employee, if an employee leaves the company, no longer no longer works there, it's possible that they're trying to take a bunch of data with them, whether nefariously or not. Maybe sort of one of their closing acts as they move on is to export their data from one password. Being able to have Datadog be like, uh, this employee who just did a big export, like all this data just got exfiltrated from one password. And it's a good opportunity to be like, okay, let's go and dig in and find out what happened there. Yeah, like Jason mentioned, right? Like I think with the cloud, it's it's so important now to detect real time because of the rapid changes that happen. So because of how we've positioned our product and it detects near real time, we're able to sort of catch that right away. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> I'm just, I'm picturing someone's pager going off in the middle of the night. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's, let's look to the future. What's coming up from Datadog in terms of new innovations, product development features that's going to help organizations like ensure resilience of their cloud applications. Sure. Well, we're we're constantly adding to the platform, and uh, I would recommend any listener who wants to know more to keep an eye out on our our website for various announcements. We have a big presence at the AWS reInvent conference uh, next week, and there'll be some announcements there that folks will want to keep an ear out for. And I'd say from our perspective around cloud sim, there's so much we want to do. We want to expand our ability to analyze data across historical data sets. So being able to query our data in new and novel ways that you know we are, have been collecting for, for many months for our customer and showing them you know potentially malicious activity that's happening in there. We want to make it easier to understand sort of the trends that are in the data and identify like key actors and entities, if you will, that are in the data and trying to highlight that activity so that customers can focus on actual compromise rather than just analyzing data for data's sake. So those are two things that I brought to, to share. Got a bunch coming. Very cool. Very cool. All right, Namisha, why don't you bring us home? Where can people go to find out more about Datadog? And where can people go to find out specifically about uh, the 1Password and Datadog integration? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So if you're already a Datadog customer today, you can just simply head to our integrations page within the app and you can find the beautiful 1Password tile and you can click on it and get started. But if you're not a Datadog customer today, there's a 14-day trial. You can head to our website and just one click, get started. Very cool. I'd also recommend the blog post that we did that talks about Datadog and 1Password and, and the work that we did together if you want to read up about that. Very nice. Very nice. Okay. Well, Misha, Jason, thank you both for being here today. This was a fun chat. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Ru. Thank you. Uh, can we skip to Hacker No Hacker? Yeah, let's go for da, it. Da, da, da. All right. In a world where hacker group names are pure gold or an obvious fail, or not even those at all if you've played the game with me the last few weeks and failed every time, each week we try to guess if these are hacker names that are correct and real or if they are fake. 
And it's the time where Anna will treat us with the hacker or no hacker jingle. Hacker, no hacker, is it real or fake? Ba doom doom doom. Hacker, no hacker, real or a mistake? All right, so I'm going to host this one because I've been getting my behind handed to me on these ones. So um, <laughs> I've got some, I've got the list, the master list. I'm very excited and I will share them with you all now. So the first group is Cryptique. Oh, I like it. It sounds like a French disco. <laughs> Have you been down to Cryptique? I'm uh, going to Cryptique. Yeah. Uh, all right. You're going to go dancing? You... Real. Yeah. I was going to go real on this one as well. Yeah. Oh, well, you're both wrong. That is oh. fake. That is, uh, I don't even know if it's a disco in France, but it could be. Um, sorry. So maybe I should be playing, but I'm, I'm not today. All right. Next up, Hackstronauts. Hackstronauts. <laughs> I want that to be real. I want that to be real very badly. So I'm going to uh, say real. I'm going to go fake. All right. Point goes to Matt on this one. There is no oh, astronaut man. hacking group out there. So that is available. That's too if bad. If you've always wanted to be <laughs> astronaut hackers, Hackstronaut is available. Trademark, random but memorable. I'm going to go register Hackstronauts. Yeah. Dot, dot Next time you have a hackathon, there you go. Yep. Oh, to, the, to the moon, Alice. All right. Next up, Xbox Underground. Is it oh, a hacker God. name? Is it an event this weekend? Is it a 90s... Uh... Teenage group. I think wasn't isn't that a wasn't that a podcast? Xbox Underground. That's fake. That's not a hacker name. Yeah, fake. I'm gonna go fake as well. You are both wrong. Xbox. It is real. Xbox Underground. Was it from the nineties? Um, there is no date here, but it it is an international hacker group responsible for gaining unauthorized access to computer networks of Microsoft and its development partners, including Activision, Epic Games, and Valve, in order to attain sensitive information related to Xbox One and Xbox Live. (laughs) It's a rather, you know pedantic advertising one i i i would have totally thought that was too boring to be real but evidently it's a professional business out there now Mm. next up ghost code guild that's 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 real that one's like ooh, we're ghost code guild like they they want gcg yeah Yeah, i'm I'm gonna go uh i'm gonna go real on that one (laughs) gcg gcg you're both wrong again oh god <laughs> actually thank god and i came up with that it's actually quite good yeah you know and that's you know so the next one is if you are out there hacking and going to space and you didn't like hackstronaut you could try zero gravity is zero gravity Dude, a real, real or fake name yeah this is real i think i've read an article out about these no this is fake this one's fake we're going to tie it up. Congratulations, Rue. You have tied it up. Hey! Oh, my God. Hmm. It is fake. <laughs> yes. going to Google that. I'm going to Google that. We don't have time. We have two more. Uh, two minutes. I got to go. All right. Next up, Periwinkle Tempest. <laughs> is that the new color that you're going to paint your powder room this year? That That is that is absolutely a paint color and not a hacking thing. That is fake. That's a, that's a paint color. I agree. Yeah, that's fake. 
You are both wrong again. <laughs> it is another oh Microsoft God. group which claims Periwinkle Tempest is one of the most prolific threat actor groups active today <laughs> that encompasses multiple groups, including operators, developers, and managers of several of the most impactful ransomware as a service backdoor ecosystems. Wow. Also coming to your color scape wow. for next year. Also, it's a powdered, powdery pink color. Yeah. All right, next up, Impact Team. <laughs> this is a this is an action B movie. And this is our last one. <laughs> no, fake as well. Last one, last chance to see where it's gonna go. Impact team. Fake, fake, fake. I gotta go real then. Like I've I've gotta pick something different to see if to see if to to give one of us the win here. Bah, 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 bah. Congratulations to Rue. It is real. Hey! In oh July my 2015, an unknown person or group calling itself the Impact Team announced they had stolen user data of Ashley Madison, a commercial website mm. billed as enabling extramarital affairs. The hacker or hackers copied personal information about the site's user base and threatened to release users' names and personally identifying information if Ashley Madison would not immediately shut down. Huh. So congratulations, Rue. Impact Team. I, th- I can't believe you won. On impact I team. I can't believe I won an impact team. What either. makes me happy here is when I look at the previous scores where I've scored one and two and I felt absolutely horrible at myself, right now the score is two to one. So there was no obvious like four trouncing. Both of you did miserably against each other. So it makes me feel much better. That is true. I think Rue's still shook from the intro. I, I am. I am. <laughs> I am. All right. Well, I'm going to go and uh, do an interview. Okay. You've got this. This has been lovely. Thank you. Love you, you. bye. Love you, bye. Love you, bye.